Brothers and sisters, open with me, if you would, to uh, the uh, scriptures, 2 Kings 14, 1 through 29. Just realized I never grabbed a cordless mic. Guys, do you want me to? Or Okay, you're fine. All right. 2 Kings 14, 1 through uh, 29. We've been in the midst of a study through 2 Kings. Uh you will recall uh, with our passage um, last time uh, that now, uh, this is two weeks ago now, uh, the prophet Elisha is dead. So the great ministry of these two men, Elijah and, Le- and Elisha, is now uh, over uh, in Israel. But at this time as well, a ministry of written prophecy uh, begins. In fact, a little bit towards the end of today's sermon, we're going to mention a couple of the prophets who begin uh, their ministry during the reign of these kings. Uh, but we've had a number of different kings in both the north and the south, the divided kingdom. Uh, and uh, we will continue our passage today by looking at one king in the south, Amaziah, who reigns in Judah, and then one king in the north, Jeroboam. This is a different Jeroboam than the Jeroboam who uh, was the first king of the northern kingdom, often referred to here as Jeroboam II, uh, but this Jeroboam uh, reigns in Israel as well. Let's read now God's word, 2 Kings 14, uh, the chapter in its entirety. Uh, In the second year of Joash, the son of Joahaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoaddan of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not like David his father. He did in all things as Joash his father had done, but the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. And as soon as the royal power was firmly in his hand, he struck down his servants who had struck down the king, his father. But he did not put to death the children of the murderers, according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, where the Lord commanded, fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers, but each one shall die for his own sin. He struck down 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt and took Selah by storm and called it Jokthil, which is its name to this day. Then Amaziah sent messengers to Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us look one another in the face. Jehoash, king of Israel, sent word to Amaziah, king of Judah, a thistle on Lebanon sent to a cedar on Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son for a wife. And a wild beast of Lebanon passed by and trampled down the thistle. You have indeed struck down Edom, and your heart has lifted you up. Be content with your glory and stay at home. For why should you provoke trouble so that you fall, you and Judah, with you? 
But Amaziah would not listen. So Jehoash, king of Israel, went up, and he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another in battle in Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his home. And Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Jehoash, son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh, and came to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem for 400 cubits from the Ephraim gate to the corner gate. And he seized all the gold and silver and all the vessels that were found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house, also hostages, and he returned to Samaria. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoash that he did and his might how he fought with Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Jehoash slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel, and Jeroboam his son reigned in his place. Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, now the rest of the deeds of Amaziah, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled up to Lachish. But they sent after him to Lachish and put him to death there. And they brought him on horses, and he was buried in Jerusalem with his fathers in the city of David. And all the people of Judah took Azariah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. He built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did and his might, how he fought and how he restored Damascus and Hamath to Judah in Israel, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Jeroboam slept with his fathers, the kings of Israel, and Zechariah, his son, reigned in his place. This ends this reading in God's word. Let's uh, look to the Lord together uh, in prayer. Uh, Lord, you are good and gracious. Uh, you record this history, the history of your people of old for our benefit. These things were written for us now at the end of the ages, and they were written for our instruction. Lord, we pray that we would learn the lessons that you have for us laid up here. Speak to us tonight through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Uh, the writer C.S. Lewis uh, once wrote, 
Uh, that there is uh, one vice of which no man in the world is free, uh, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. Uh, there is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. The more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. And according to Christian teachers, Lewis says, uh, the essential vice, the utmost evil of which he speaks here, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. Uh, it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is, Lewis says, the complete anti-God state of mind. Now, why does pride have this prominent place amongst the sins that we might commit? Lewis goes on to list several different reasons why a proud person is one who just has to be better than everyone else. A proud person is never satisfied. A proud person craves power. A pride makes you God's enemy. It is truly an anti-God state of mind. Pride says, I'm going to depend on myself and not at all on God. Pride indeed makes us vulnerable uh, to the devil. Well, in the account that we have read uh, today, one of the things that is most certainly true concerning Amaziah, the king of Judah, was that he was a proud man. I think a verse that perhaps is at the very center of this passage is one which was spoken by uh, the wicked king of Israel, uh, Jehoash. But it's found in verse 10. Speaking to Amaziah, he says to him, You have indeed struck down Edom, and your heart has lifted you up. He was a man whose heart had been lifted up. He was a man who was proud. And it's some lessons concerning pride uh, that I want us to learn in our passage today. We're going to see uh, really four different points in our passage today. Uh, first of all, we're going to see where pride comes from, and it comes from a heart that is halfway for God where pride comes from, a heart halfway for God. Uh, secondly, we're going to see how pride grows, and that is in a heart that is puffed up by success. How pride grows, a heart that is puffed up by success. And thirdly, we're going to see what pride results in. Here we're going to see a heart that is brought down to destruction a heart that is brought down to destruction. And then, fourthly, we're going to ask very simply, okay, but what about the person who has it all and doesn't seem to fall at all? Well, we're going to look at that, those things in turn, okay? First of all, we're going to see where pride comes from, a heart that is halfway for God. And this passage is all about a king Amaziah. And the beginning part of chapter 14 gives a kind of assessment, as uh, the writer of Kings so often does, an assessment of Amaziah's uh, reign. And basically, his assessment is this. Well, he's all right. Okay? 
Um, he is, uh, you know, pretty good. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, verse 3, and yet, not as good as some of the kings. He was not like David. Rather, he was a little bit more like his father, uh, Joash. Uh, so, um, uh, again, it... Um, he was pretty good. He wasn't an outright pagan. Uh, he didn't, like Ahab of Israel, persecute the prophets or uh, kind of actively promote idolatry within Judah. Uh, in fact, we have even an example of his godliness that's found in verses 5 and 6. Uh, he rightly brought the assassinators of his father to justice, but did you notice it? He spared their sons. See, in the ancient world, uh, a, a king in power typically destroyed all potential rivals, and not only them, but also their children. But Amaziah, by contrast, showed mercy. He forsook a vengeful spirit. And why did he do this? Well, verse 6 tells us it was because what was written in the book of the law of Moses where it says, quoting the Old Testament, fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor children be put to death because of their fathers, but each one shall die for his own sin. And Amaziah had some regard for what the scriptures said. Nevertheless, despite his regard for God's law, he was still one who did not follow God fully. Uh, and we read of this primarily in verse 4, where it speaks of certain high places that were not removed. These were high places or kind of mounds or knolls uh, that were used uh, by uh, the Canaanites and the people of Judah copying the Canaanites to worship uh, false gods or in a kind of syncretistic way uh, to worship Yahweh, but to worship him in a way that he didn't command. And that's will worship. That's not God-glorifying worship, and it seems that Amaziah was not holy entirely for God. He did not take away these high places. He was not zealous for the worship of God. Well, Amaziah's sin here was sadly all too common among the kings of Judah. They, in some cases followed God, but we would say followed God kind of halfway. His heart was with God, but only to a point. Here was one who wouldn't reach the standard of certain good kings like Asa and Jehoshaphat who walked in the ways of David. And it is a reminder to us, your brothers and sisters, uh, that we ought not to be content with a kind of halfway religion. Religion that believes orthodoxy, that would mouth certain truths, even bring our lives into conformity to some degree with the things of God, and yet have a heart that is divided, a heart that's not all out for the living God. And that stands to condemn this man, Amaziah. And as we're going to see, it leads, it's going to lead to certain sins in his life namely the sin of pride. So let us be those who examine our own hearts. Are we 
holy with the Lord. Remember, as Jesus said, no man can have two masters. We ought not to serve the Lord with a divided heart. Let's be holy his. So Amaziah was one who was halfway for God. But secondly, now I want us to consider how it is that pride grows. And here we see a heart that is puffed up by success. Verse 7 tells us of a battle. Amaziah leads the people of Judah against the Edomites. And it's a roaring success. 10,000 Edomites killed. He takes Selah by storm. He renames one of the, the cities. It's a glorious success. Now, how did they get this victory? Well, it was God, ultimately, who gave them this victory, but it seems that Amaziah really ultimately attributed it to himself. He let it get to his head a little bit. He thought himself a bit invincible. It was his skill, his ability that led to this success. And so, after his uh, victory against the Edomites, verse 8 tells us, well, he's not going to stop there. He now confronts Jehoahaz, the king of Israel, uh, face to face. He says, come, let us look one another in the face. What he means by that is not a kind of friendly meeting, uh, but rather it's a declaration of war, essentially. It's a little uh, trash talking, we might say. And and why is that? Why, why is he so eager to go to war? now against Israel. I don't know that we fully know. If, if we actually looked at the parallel passage in the book of Chronicles, it might give us a hint in Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles tells us that in the war against the Edomites, um, Amaziah had actually originally hired some Israelite mercenaries to go with them and then was instructed uh, to not take those mercenaries, and those mercenaries actually went back through some towns of Judah and kind of uh, ransacked those towns. So it might be that Amaziah is upset about what they did. We don't know, but it could be simply this, just the sheer pride of Amaziah. He thought, I had so, so much success against Edom. Let's go now after Israel. Well, Jehoahaz, uh, the king of Israel, uh, doesn't take this sitting down. Rather, he sends back a message. It's a little story, kind of parable, in which he essentially says to Amaziah, you are making a big mistake. He compares Israel to a cedar in Lebanon, and he compares Judah to a little thistle. And the point of the story is basically like this, that a wild beast is going to come along, and the thistle that is Judah is essentially going to go squish. That's the story, basically. Uh, the real problem, he says, is Amaziah's heart. Your heart has lifted you up, verse 10. You struck down Edom, and you let that success go to your head. Your heart has now lifted you up. He says, be content with your glory. Stay at home. Don't provoke trouble. Don't bring Judah down with you. Essentially, the Lord is speaking truth through the words of Jehoahaz. 
Uh, and it's truth that we need to hear as well. You know, whenever you experience success, as Amaziah did, perhaps that success is a straight A's in school, perhaps accolades on the baseball diamond or the volleyball court or the theater stage or the orchestra pit. Or perhaps you are a popular one, popular at school, popular at work. Perhaps you're being very quickly promoted at work and are having a lot of success, or your business is flourishing. Or perhaps, mom, dad, your kids are turning out pretty well. Perhaps you're making lots of money. and Life is good. You begin to think, you know, I'm pretty good. And you can get puffed up. And it's very easy for this to happen. It's very easy to begin to attribute any success that we experience, not to anybody else, often not to God, but to myself. It's a result of my skill, my ability, my talent. There's something special about me. Friends, we need to beware that kind of attitude. We need to beware that attitude that compares ourselves to others and thinks, you know what, I'm really doing pretty well in this world. Because as soon as you begin to attribute your success to, your, to yourself, you begin to think that you don't need God anymore. You become far too confident. That's what happened to Amaziah. He began to become puffed up. And that's how pride grows. Let's move thirdly now to see what pride results in. And here we have a heart that is brought down to destruction. Uh, we find this in verses 11 through 22. Uh, and what we read of in these chapters is nothing less than sheer disaster. Amaziah doesn't listen to the wise counsel of the king of the north, but instead he goes and attacks and we're told that these two kings indeed do face one another with their armies in Beth Shemesh. And the battle is very one-sided. Judah is defeated by Israel. The people of Judah flee home. We read in these verses that the city of Jerusalem is ransacked that the part of the uh, of the uh, the wall of Jerusalem is torn down. Uh, the temple and the royal treasury are plundered. Hostages are taken. Some of the people then are brought into a kind of exile. It's really kind of a preview of the Babylonian captivity that's going to happen a couple of centuries later. But here's a captivity, not by a pagan power of Babylon, but by Israel, the other half of the divided kingdom. What a, what a horrible thing is happening. And Amaziah, the king himself, is taken prisoner by this fellow king, Jehoash. 
And uh, it's actually interesting. In the passage, we never read, Amaziah is going to go on to live another 15 years, and we don't, we don't read of him being returned or, or coming again legitimately to power. It might be that he was a kind of vassal king in Jerusalem for the remainder of, of his years. What a sorry end to it all. And then we read, uh, after we read of Jehoash's death in verses 15 through 16, we read then of Amaziah's death in 17 through uh, 22. And it's a terrible death, a violent death. Not a natural death, not a death of honor, but rather a death at the hands of his own countrymen who had had absolutely enough of him. He had brought Judah to destruction. And they didn't want him to reign over him, over them any anymore. What a drastic contrast between the Amaziah of verses 7 through 10 and the Amaziah that had fallen so brad- badly. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. And that's what happened to Amaziah. Well, what's happened to Amaziah is something that is repeated time and again through through human history. How many people have taken pride in their athletics or their intellect or their family or their power or their position or their success or their relationships or their popularity? The very thing of which they were proud has become the matter of their downfall. It all comes crashing down around them. And you see, if you put, if you take your pride in any of those things, if those things are your boast, as soon as that thing is taken from you, you have nothing at all. You have nothing left. And your life becomes miserable. And so it is with the lives of so many people who in their pride thought they could stand on their own, but they were not relying on God and everything that they trusted in, everything that they once made their boast, comes crashing down around them. Lives are ruined. That's what happened with Amaziah. And it's a lesson, friends, that we need to take to heart. And that's why it is so important that we remember that God is one who opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to those who make their boast, not themselves and their own talents, but who make their boast in the Lord because the Lord never disappoints. The Lord never lets us down. The Lord in His righteousness shall always stand. It's not about us. No matter how successful you have been, it's not about you. You cannot put your trust in that matter of your success. Put it in the Lord. Put it in the Lord. So here we see in Amaziah, as we've seen in so many others, might we take this lesson to heart, that indeed a haughty spirit goes before a fall, pride before a destruction. What does pride result in? It results in a heart that is brought very low. Well, let's now fourthly and finally, though, ask this question. Yes, you might say. So often people's pride does lead to their downfall, but it seems that it's not always that way, right? We know some very proud people 
who have it all and who don't seem to lose it and in fact seem to go through life with few troubles. What about people like that? Is pride their downfall as well? Well, let's come to the end of this chapter because I think we're going to actually meet such a person in this figure, Jeroboam II, who is the king of Israel. We're introduced to him in verses 23 through 29. Uh, Jeroboam becomes king of Israel. He has a 41-year reign. It was a reign of extraordinary outward prosperity and stability for the northern kingdom of Israel, more so than really any other king in Judah or in Israel. Uh, Israel's territory was extended under Jeroboam to its widest borders. Land that had previously been lost was regained. It, it was like Solomon all over again under Jeroboam. He was a king of what appeared to be extraordinary success. Now, how did he, this king, have such stability and such success? I wonder if you noticed in our passage, because it tells us actually why. And it tells us it wasn't due to his own skill, but it was all the gift of God. Every bit of it. Look with me, verse 25 and verse 26 and verse 27. It tells us the reasons. Verse 25, it tells us that his success was according to the word of the prophet Jonah. You notice that, verse 25? He restored the border of Israel from Lebo-Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according not to his own strength or cleverness or skill, but simply according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai the prophet, who was from Gath Hefer. Yes, it was actually the Jonah that we have, the written prophet that we have in, in the Bible, who preached at one point to, to Nineveh. Well, this Jonah as well, it appears, had... Through God, God had through him foretold the success uh, of, 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 of Jeroboam. But a second reason is given in verse 26. It was because the Lord had compassion on the afflicted people of Israel. Why did they have such success? For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, that it was very bitter, and there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. And so the Lord came to the rescue of his people in his great compassion and mercy. But then the third reason we're given is then in verse 27, it was because the Lord had promised not to blot Israel out. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. You see, the Lord saved them. Jeroboam was merely the instrument of the Lord's power. And actually, if you look back in chapter 10, in verse 30, we're given even another reason, and it was because the Lord had promised Jehu that he would have a four-generation dynasty, and Jeroboam is number four in that line. And so the Lord had made a promise. And that's why Jeroboam was reigning. The Lord was having compassion on the poor people of Israel, and that's why they were having political stability. 
the Lord was exercising his kindness and his mercy, and Jeroboam was merely the instrument of it all. It was the Lord's doing. It was God's mercy, God's grace, God's compassion, not anything in Jeroboam. You see, dear friends, Jeroboam himself was an idolater. Jeroboam was a wicked man, a wicked king. He didn't abandon the sins of his namesake, Jeroboam the first, but rather he walked in all of the ways of Jeroboam the son of Nebat with all of the wickedness and all the idolatry that was going on of, in Israel. In fact, if you want to read more about Jeroboam's reign, there are really two other prophets that you could read. One of them is Hosea. You'll remember Hosea accused the Israelites of spiritual adultery, you know, with the picture of that adultery of his wife, Gomer, okay? Uh, uh, and, and Hosea was describing Israel in the time of Jeroboam. And the other prophet that you could read would be the prophet Amos. And Amos, wow, points to corruption and greed and oppression of the poor and religious formalism and idolatry which abounded. Amos was convicting the people of Israel under Jeroboam. That was a spiritual state under Jeroboam. You see, it appears that Jeroboam had it all, doesn't he? Extraordinarily successful king. Well, he may have had it all from one perspective, but he didn't have God. He didn't have God. He may have left behind a kingdom that was outwardly prosperous. But he didn't give God the glory, nor God the thanks, for what the Lord had done. And the kingdom that he left behind was, in its moral and spiritual life, rotten at the core and under the judgment of Almighty God. So do you see, the account of Jeroboam II, even though it seems to contrast in many ways to Amaziah. Amaziah ended very poorly. He was brought low. Jeroboam had success from beginning to end. But each account is equally as tragic. It's equally as tragic. Because here is Jeroboam, a man who had worldly success, a man who was one of the most significant and powerful players in the Middle East of his time. This was a political giant of giants. But he was a man who probably had as much pride as Amaziah did and who certainly had no life with God. And I think it's very telling that a man of this magnitude, had a secular history book been written, there would have been chapters after chapters given to Jeroboam II and to his success. But when we read in the book of 2 Kings, he's just given a measly little paragraph where we're told, the Lord did it all, and he turned his back on the Lord. And that's the real account of his reign. And so it is with everyone who, though they might not be brought low in this life, if they have a heart that is puffed up with pride, and that is opposed to God, 
their spiritual condition is not good at all. They are not a person to be envied. Not one bit. They are like Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Might we remember that, dear friends, that ultimately in this life or in the next, and often both, okay, those who exalt themselves are going to be humbled. Those who humble themselves are going to be exalted. Might we be those who learn these lessons? Don't follow the proud ways of Amaziah, of Jeroboam. Don't puff up your heart against the Lord. Don't ignore the Lord as you are puffed up with your own successes. But instead, in humility, cry out to him, Lord, might you be my boast. Might you be my all in all in this life and forevermore. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the account that we've been given today. Amaziah of Jeroboam, of the lessons that we should learn. Lord, we do pray that we would take these lessons to heart. Lord, keep us from being puffed up in whatever ways we are tempted to, whatever ways we are tempted to celebrate our own successes or skills or talents. Lord, our God, might we remember to glory in nothing else but in the cross of Jesus Christ, our Lord. O Lord, be all of our glory this life and forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, amen.